Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How are you doing, Colleen? I'm good. We had our meetup yesterday, and it was so much fun. Um, Thank you to everybody who made it out there, and thank you to Esther from Once Upon a Crime Mm -hmm. and Brooke, who you may know on Twitter as Brooke underscore pod junkie, for making it out and for bringing the insight swag. Um, How are you? I'm good, yes. Thank you for everybody who came out. Jen and Amanda, thank you guys so much. It was awesome, and I hope we do more in the future. But now on to today's case. On August 14, 2004, 22-year-old Lindsay Cutchell and her 26-year-old fiancé Jason Allen were camping on Fishhead Beach near the mouth of the Russian River in Jenner, a small town in Sonoma County, California. They were on a weekend getaway from the summer camp they both worked at and due to return back Sunday night. When they didn't make it, the camp called the police and the couple's parents. Three days later, their bodies were found on a beach. The events over the next 13 years will take investigators from California to Canada, then New Mexico, before finally ending back where it all began in Sonoma County. This week, we are discussing who killed Lindsay and Jason and how they were apprehended. Lindsay Cutshall was born September 9th, 1981, and grew up in Fresno, Ohio. To say Fresno is a small community is an understatement. In 2010, the census reported the population to be at just 140. It's near White Eyes Township that has a total population of fewer than 1,200. She was raised in this rural community by her mom and dad, who was and still is an evangelical minister in Fresno, Ohio. Religion was a big part of her upbringing and remained so in her adult life. Lindsay was attending Appalachian Bible College in West Virginia when she met Jason Allen in 2002. He was three years older and they immediately clicked, bonding over their shared strong religious beliefs and their love of the outdoors and adventure. Jason Allen was born on May 16, 1978, and was raised in Zeeland, Michigan. Zeeland is a small town, too, but with a population of 5,000, it's much bigger than Fresno. Jason was raised in a religious household as well. Jason's dad has been quoted saying that both Jason as well as Lindsay both openly talked about their love for the Lord. They had planned to get married in Lindsay's dad's church at the end of the summer. The two had been engaged for almost two years at the time of their murders. Their wedding was set to take place less than a month later on September 11th, 2004, which would have been two days after Lindsay's 23rd birthday. They planned to spend their honeymoon camping in West Virginia along the Gauley River. The two had been working for the summer at a Christian summer camp in El Dorado County, California, about 50 miles east of Sacramento, called Rock and Water. The camp specialized in outdoor adventure, and the two worked as rafting guides on the American River. Friends said the couple's ultimate goal was to open a Christian camp of their own. After the two were found murdered, Rock and Water closed the camp for the rest of the season. 
As the summer was coming to a close, the two decided to take their weekend off to go on a road trip to San Francisco, just a couple hours west. They finished up their duties at camp, and around 7 p.m. the night of August 13th, they told their co-workers they were headed to see friends. Cutshaw had said before she left California she really wanted to take a trip to see San Francisco. On Saturday the 14th, the two were seen around tourist attractions in San Francisco. Pictures from their camera showed them in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, Fisherman's Wharf, and Alcatraz. A receipt showed that they had bought hot sauce at Pier 47 before driving up Highway 1 through Marin towards Sonoma County. Witnesses said they saw Lindsay's 1992 Red Ford Tempo in several places in Sonoma the evening of the 14th. Lindsay and Jason stopped for gas along Highway 116 in the sleepy town of Gurneyville, and a Red Ford was also seen driving through the roads near Sebastopol and Forestville. The couple showed up Saturday evening at the Jenner Inn in the town of Jenner and tried to book a room, but they were told that the inn was full that night. They then asked for recommendations on places to camp for the night. They were warned that camping was prohibited on the beaches, but if they go camp on the beach, the area north of Jenner would be a good place to go. It's theorized that once the two were turned away from the Jenner Inn, they decided that they could save some money by camping the night on the beach. Since they were due back at camp the next day, spending the night on the beach was going to be a one-night temporary thing. There's a lot of beach camping north of San Francisco, particularly in Sonoma County. However, not all the beaches allow camping, but there is a significant transient population that will camp on those beaches. Also, some of the terrain up there is just a lot rougher. It's not the California beaches you're thinking, like of Orange County or San Diego. It's just sand. It's rocks and cliffs. Some of these beaches were, are unmarked and exclusively used as permanent campgrounds for homeless people. So basically, beach camping isn't technically allowed everywhere in Sonoma County, but it's common. Lindsay and Jason had told their friends back at camp that they planned to return from their road trip at 5 p.m. on Sunday, August 15th. The next weekend, Lindsay was due to fly back home to finalize her wedding details. When the two didn't return home by 5 on Sunday, there was immediate concern. It was not like Lindsay or Jason to worry their friends or flake on their job. When the camp didn't hear from the two by the next morning, a missing persons report was filed and Jason and Lindsay's parents were notified. Both sets of parents immediately hopped on a plane to California as soon as they got the call from the camp. They said when they got the call, they just knew the news would not be good news. Unfortunately, because the details of the road trip weren't well planned out, no one was really sure where they went. They had told people they were going to San Francisco, but they didn't have a set itinerary. They opted just to see where their trip would take them. The missing persons case was filed, but law enforcement didn't have a lot of information. They tracked the credit card purchases in San Francisco that Saturday, but didn't have much to go on besides that. That was until Wednesday, August 18th. Lindsay and Jason had been missing for three days. Sonoma Sheriff's Department had been dispatched to a cliff above Fishhead Beach, responding to a report of a man who had been stranded while hiking. The helicopter surveying the area flew over the beach and spotted two people lying there, not moving. They informed the police on the ground and they were dispatched to search the area. The beach Lindsay and Jason were on is down a moderately steep hill. The beach itself is covered in driftwood and jagged rocks and boulders. People use the sun-bleached driftwood to assemble makeshift shelters to shield themselves from the wind. It was there, a few yards from the ocean, that sheriffs found the bodies of Lindsay and Jason. Still in their sleeping bags, belongings, including their Bibles, left undisturbed. There were no signs of trauma other than the single gunshot wounds to their heads. They were not sexually assaulted and they weren't robbed. Murder-suicide was ruled out due to the fact that no weapon was found at the scene. It was determined that the gun used in the murders was a 45 caliber Marlin 1894 long rifle. 
police called the type of gun uncommon for the people in the area to own. And I shoot, you know, I worked at a range and I've just been around guns a lot of my life. It, it's a lever action rifle, but it's a handgun caliber. Uh, so I guess I could see how they thought it was a little uncommon because normally a lever action rifle, you're going to have, uh, you know, a rifle caliber, uh, not a 45 caliber, which is a handgun caliber. So we'll link a picture of the gun on social media. Shell casings were not retrieved at the scene, which made the investigators believe that the killer took the evidence with them, which I feel like. You know, they could have definitely done because, you know, with a lever action, while the uh, casings are expelled every time you work the lever, they don't go very far like a handgun or a semi-auto, which kind of throws them quite far. So I can see how they could easily clean up their evidence. Lindsay's car was found at the top of the hill above the beach, parked in a turnout. At the top of the hill, there is a wooden hutch with a visitor's log. Jason wrote, I just spent two awesome days with my fiance, Lindsay. Can life ever be so perfect? Although a definite time of death is unknown based on evidence at the scene and the plans the couple had for the coming week, late Saturday, August 14th, or very early in the morning, Sunday the 15th, is the accepted time and date of death. And that makes sense to me. They plan to be back at the camp that Sunday. There's nothing about their lifestyle that suggests that they would be the type of people to just take off and not tell anybody or that they would just bail on like you know mm-hmm. their job for the rest of the summer. Right. Also, pictures in San Francisco on that Saturday put them in the area, too. So. Yeah, totally makes sense. Investigators said that because they were still in their sleeping bags, it's very likely that they died almost instantly, and they were probably asleep when they were shot. Evidence that the scene was scarce. The beaches on that part of the coast are very windy, and evidence like footprints were long gone by the time the bodies were found. Police did recover some DNA evidence, but it was not matched to anybody. Camping is not allowed on that stretch of the beach that they were found on, but it is a well-known beach for hitchhikers or transients to sleep on because of its remote location. This led police to think that they may have been murdered by someone who then immediately left the area. The news of the murders terrified people who live nearby. The idea that someone could kill two people in cold blood and disappear made locals very uneasy. News of the murders was reported on widely in the United States at the time. Headlines talked about the mysterious, quote-unquote, missionary murders and widely discussed their lifestyle and their faith. With news of the story spreading, the Sheriff's Department put a majority of their resources into running down leads. In 2004, there were several dozen detectives assigned to the case and hundreds of tips to sift through. As time went on, the leads went nowhere. There were some suspects, but they were either ruled out or just remained on the list as people of interest. As time went on, the tips dried up. What was once a case with a team of people working on it became a single investigator by 2014. They investigated tips when they came in, which was rare. A $50,000 reward remained in effect for information leading to an arrest. The families of Jason and Lindsay remained hopeful that the case would be solved, but also relied heavily on their religion to help them through the tragedy, saying that they believed that God would ultimately bring the killer to justice and that they didn't need the killer to be captured in order to have closure. On the 10-year anniversary of the murders in August 2014, the Cutshells had a vigil at the beach where the two were found. About 60 friends and family members flew in from all over the United States to attend the vigil. Lindsay's father, Chris, still wears his daughter's gold ring on his pinky, and they also have her Bible. In the 10 years that had gone by, both sets of parents had visited California to check in on the progress of the investigation. Despite the lack of leads, the family said they knew the case was being looked into and that the sheriff's department wanted it to be solved. 
Just before the second anniversary of the killings in May 2006, Sonoma County sheriffs released new evidence that they hoped would shake loose more leads. In the beginning of the investigation, law enforcement had been tight-lipped on what was found at the crime scene because they did not want to impede the investigation. New evidence released was a notebook of poems found near the crime scene that did not belong to Jason or Lindsay. Writings in a journal that was left inside a makeshift driftwood hut that was for visitors on the beach. In addition to the writing, there were ink drawings on pieces of driftwood near the crime scene. There was also an empty 40-ounce bottle of camo beer. The particular type of beer is uncommon in California and was made in Wisconsin. There was also a hat in the turnout near Lindsay's car that is not believed to belong to the couple. This evidence was not known if it was directly linked to the killers or if other visitors of the beach had left it. Law enforcement's hope is that someone would recognize some of the items or drawings left behind and provide them with a name. Despite law enforcement's transparency, no new credible leads came forward and the case remained unsolved. There were several suspects that were looked into at the time of the murders. First, there was a drifter who was originally from Wisconsin. He was known to local law enforcement and known to spend time in the Sonoma County, Jenner Beach area. Also, the beer can found near the crime scene was beer that is local to Wisconsin and rare in California. Since police suspected that the likely killer might be a transient and not in one place for long, this man was given a polygraph. Once passed, he was released and ruled out as a suspect. The second suspect who was pursued more intensely was a man named Joseph Henry Burgess. Tofino Beach is on the west coast of Vancouver Island in Canada. Now it's known as a vacation spot, but in the 60s and the 70s, it was a sleepy town that was changed by an influx of younger people. Every summer, Tofino Beach was filled with hippies, hitchhikers, and American draft dodgers looking to avoid being sent to Vietnam. Enter Joseph Henry Burgess. He first came to the island in the early summer of 1972. Burgess was tall and skinny and on the run from New Jersey for failing to report when the Army drafted him in 1968. He lived in eastern Canada for a few years before heading west, picking up a rap sheet as he went, mostly for drug arrests, and by the time he got to Vancouver Island, he was well known to the police. Burgess is from a prominent Catholic family, but by the time he was in Canada, he was more unconventional in his religious beliefs. He carried a gun and would quote the Bible discussing God's wrath and the state of the world, and he would also end his conversations with just amen. He also called himself Job, the figure from the Old Testament whose faith is tested. He tried to join a religious commune, but left after his fanatical behavior and gun made his housemates nervous. After this, he started referring to himself as a, quote, prophet of God and bought ammo and decided to live as a hermit on Vancouver Island until he got his calling from God. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. While at Tofino Beach, she complained to multiple people about a new couple that had joined their group. They were young and deeply Christian, but also unmarried, and Burgess did not approve of them being together. A couple days later, 20 year old Anne Durant and 19 year old Leif Carlson were found shot to death in their sleeping bags on the beach. Both had been shot in the head. Sound familiar? Sounds very familiar to me. Burgess was gone before anyone had discovered the bodies. Police found a trail of his personal belongings that led away from the beach, including his Canadian health card. A picture of Burgess flashing a peace sign, a Bible, and a roach clip. An international arrest warrant was issued for Burgess, and an intensive manhunt was conducted. But he was never found. Police actually assumed that because he wasn't ever found, he could have killed himself. Although they had a prime suspect, since they couldn't locate him, the case went cold. In 2004, a Canadian police officer happened to read about the news out of California. They brought it to the attention of a superior officer, and they called Sonoma County. Canadian police thought if Burgess didn't kill himself, he may have traveled back to the U.S. in 1977 after President Jimmy Carter granted blanket immunity to draft dodgers. In 2004, Burgess would be 57 years old. He became a suspect, but still no one could find him. Five years later, the manhunt would end in an unexpected way. In a remote area in the Jemez Mountains in New Mexico, police were investigating a number of break-ins and various vacation cabins in the area. While they were in a cabin, a man suddenly entered through an unlocked window and charged the officers. After a struggle between the man and the officers, they managed to get their handcuffs on him. However, this did not prevent the man from reaching for the gun he had in his waistband behind his back. He fired at the officers, striking one, and the officer returned fire. Both the man and the officer died of their gunshot wounds. The man was suspected of being the burglar who had been breaking into the cabins in the area, stealing food and warm clothes for the last 10 years. It wasn't until law enforcement ran his fingerprints through the FBI database did they realize that the man was now 62-year-old Joseph Henry Burgess. With Burgess dead, Sonoma County was never able to question him in Lindsay and Jason's killings. Burgess's DNA and fingerprints were run against the evidence from the Fishhead Beach crime scene, and he was ruled out as a suspect after his death. He is still considered to be the prime suspect in the Tofino Beach murders. With the prime suspect for the last five years dead and then ruled out, Sonoma County was back at square one. I'm pleased to announce today that the Sheriff's Office has made a major breakthrough 
in the investigation surrounding the murders of Jason Allen and Lindsay Cutshaw that took place in August of 2004 in Jenner. Many of us will never forget when Sonoma County was rocked by the discovery of a young innocent couple found murdered on a secluded beach where they spent the night. Jason and Lindsay were just 26 and 22 years old at the time of their deaths. Jason from Michigan and Lindsay from Ohio were in California working at a Christian youth whitewater drafting camp in El Dorado County and were on a three-day sightseeing trip to the Northern California coast. The Sheriff's Office has identified Sean Gallen, a 38-year-old resident of Forestville, as Jason and Lindsay's killer. Gallen was recently arrested for the murder of his brother in their Forestville home. Gallen is well known to Sheriff's Office investigators, and early on in the Jenner murder investigation, Gallen was a person of interest, and detectives never ruled him out as a possible suspect. Upon Gallen's arrest for the murder of his brother, Sheriff's Office detectives took another opportunity to talk to him about the murders in Jenner. Gallen made statements to the detectives with new information and additional investigative leads into the case. He had information about the killings that no other person could have known, and we have located evidence that cooperates his statement. Based on what detectives have been able to learn, we feel confident that we have Jason and Lindsay's killer in custody. Sheriff's Office detectives are continuing to follow up leads and are working hard to complete this investigation. We will be presenting our report to the District Attorney's Office in the near future. However, we are still encouraging anyone with information about this case or Sean Gallen to contact our detectives. For that reason, we are releasing a photo of Sean Gallen. Sergeant Crum has the picture for those of you who want it, and he will post it at the end of this press conference. I would like to take a moment to thank the other law enforcement agencies who assisted us on this investigation over the years. The Santa Rosa Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, California State Parks, and the California Department of Justice. Additionally, I want to thank the members of our community who came forward with information about this case over the years. I also want to thank the many men and women of the Sheriff's Office who have worked on this investigation. I'm grateful to the dozens of detectives from all of the Sheriff's Office investigative units who persistently and faithfully worked on this case for nearly 13 years. I wish I could name them all, but there are too many to list. I would like to acknowledge and thank the current investigative team, Lieutenant Tim Duke, Sergeant Shannon McElvain, Lead Detective Joe Horseman, and Detectives Jeff Tony, Jason Fowler, and Jesse Hanshu. This case is further proof that the men and women of the Sheriff's Office will never give up protecting our community and seeking justice for crime victims. Most importantly, I want to thank the Cutshaw and Allen families who have consistently been supportive and patient during this 13-year investigation. <clears throat> And the families have sent me a statement that they'd like me to read. And this is a statement for uh, Jason's parents, Bob and Dolores Allen, and Lindsay's parents, Chris and Kathy Cutshaw. We are extremely pleased that our children's murderer is in custody where he belongs. We praise the Lord for his capture, and we trust in the due process of the law. 
We would like to thank the heartfelt concern of the people of Jenner and Sonoma County. We have appreciated your support for this case throughout our 13-year ordeal. We are especially grateful to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office for their tireless pursuit of Jason and Lindsay's killer. The strong support for us by former Sheriff Bill Cogbill and current Sheriff Steve Freitas has been outstanding. And the dedication of all the lieutenants, sergeants, detectives, and personnel at the Sheriff's Office throughout the years has totally amazed us. The combination of their humanity and professionalism would not allow them to give up on this case. And when we at times wondered if this day would ever come, the detectives in particular wouldn't allow us to lose hope. To all who have worked on this case over the years, we can't thank you enough. You are true heroes, and we thank God for you. Finally and most importantly, we want to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for sustaining us and our families throughout this long journey. We know that we have miles to go before the case is closed, but we also know the power and wonder of God's grace. Our prayers continue to be for the Sheriff's Office, for the families of the deputies who give them their undying support, and for all the dear folks in Sonoma County, and even for Sean Gallen, who heartlessly committed the senseless and wicked crime. In mid-March 2017, a man named Sean Gallen was arrested for the murder of his younger brother at the home he shared with his brother and mother in Forestville, Sonoma County, California. Forestville is in the same area as Jenner and not far from the beach. Gallen and his younger brother, Seamus, got into an argument at their house that erupted in gunfire. By the end of the altercation, Seamus was dead. Sean is currently being held without bail. He is 38 years old, and at the time of Lindsay and Jason's murders, he was 25 years old. He was known to law enforcement at the time of the murders, and it came out later that he was on the suspect list early on based on tips provided to police by people in the community. When he was arrested for his brother's murder in 2017, he was questioned in detail about Lindsay and Jason. He was initially reluctant to speak about anything related to Fishhead Beach. He returned to his cell where he is awaiting trial for his brother's murder. A couple weeks after that round of questioning, Gallen handed a note to the guard. The note set off a second round of interviews between Gallen and the investigation team. Based on the outcome of those interviews, the Sheriff's Department conducted a search in a section of dense brush in Sonoma County on May 1st. Later on May 5th, the police announced that they had a suspect in custody after they received information from Gallon that only the killer would know. They also located evidence after the May 1st search that pointed to Gallon as being responsible for the murders of Lindsay and Jason. Although he is publicly being named as the perpetrator of the murders, he has not been charged. Gallon's public defender has spoken out saying that Gallon is housed in a jail unit for inmates with mental health issues and that he is very distraught over his brother's death. She said it is entirely possible that he gave information that is just simply untrue to the police. There is no known connection between Sean, Gallon, and Lindsay and Jason. The crime is seemingly random. A motive for the killing has not been released, and it's not clear if there is one. So for final thoughts, I'm glad this case is solved and there's closure for the families mm -hmm. of the victims. Researching their lives, it's clear that they made an impact on a lot of people. I mean, hell, they had a vigil 10 years yeah. on, and 60 people came from all over the country. That's amazing. 
And I'm glad that law enforcement never gave up on the case and they kept it open all these years. Although he hasn't been charged, I think based on what we know, it's likely that Sean Gallen is responsible, mm-hmm. especially considering he's the one that ultimately set off the chain of events that led to the murder. He's the one that, you know, came forward mm. to the guard and said, OK, I'll talk. Yeah. And 13 years is just an incredibly long time to wait for justice or closure. And we've covered some cases where so much time passes that a lot of the family members of the victims pass away without ever getting to know what happened. So I'm glad that this case, this was not the case in this story. You know, mm. they a lot of time passed, too much time passed. But I'm glad that not too much time passed that, you know, their parents don't get to know what happened to them. Right. Because, you know, with each passing year, it's less and less likely that the case will get solved. So I think it is great that law enforcement, they never gave up and neither did the family. And I think that was key here as well as, you know, I think the circumstances that when he eventually just said, hey, I want to talk. So, you know, this case was like the San Mateo slasher where Mm -hmm. I started researching and then realized that the case was very recently resolved, but pending trial. I'm planning on keeping a lookout for any new developments to see if any charges ever end up being filed in Lindsay and Jason's murders. And I assume that they will, but I think they're still trying to gather evidence because this is very, very recent. Yeah. Definitely. I think we should set up a Google alert <laughs> as I'm going to be very curious on yeah, the next steps of the case. So that wraps up this week's case. And uh, we have a couple five star reviews we want to thank. Thank you to 823 Cheryl Carroll, Snack for Life. I love your name. Just Kate, Hakita, proud veteran and wending machine repair girl who left us a review all the way from Sweden. Uh, thank you for your feedback. Reviews help people find the podcast and they help us grow. So thank you so much. If you're liking the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or whatever app you listen to podcasts on. We also have a couple of patrons to thank. Thank you to Angie, Marissa and the Gone Cold podcast for your support of the show. We'll be shipping your rewards out soon. If you're interested in supporting the show or scoring some merchandise, head over to patreon.com slash misconduct podcast to check it out. Also, we want to recommend checking out the Gone Cold podcast. The Gone Cold podcast explores unsolved murders and missing persons cases throughout the state of Texas. Their first episode dropped July 17th, and they will be discussing the abduction of Carla Walker. If you're looking for a podcast to check out, what's better than a brand new show? And before we go, I'd like to share with you my brother-in-law's Etsy store. If you like horror-themed patches, pins, and posters, visit psychoswami.com and enter promo code KILLERDEAL for a 30% discount. And that is uh, psychoswami, P-S-Y-C-H-O-S-W-A-M-I.com and enter KILLERDEAL, all one word, no space, for a 30% discount. And that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. Head over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. If you are not already a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the cases, so hop on over and let us know what you think of today's case. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. We also want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. Be sure to check them out on Bandcamp to listen to more of their music. If you have a case suggestion, let us know about it. You can email us at MisconductPodcast at gmail.com. We will see you next week. How 
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.